Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Did you know that only 13% of salespeople worldwide think they get helpful coaching from their sales leaders, but 83% of the leaders of these reps think they are awesome at coaching? Head to xvoyant.com for the world's largest sales leadership resource center. Discover best practices in sales leadership, common pitfalls to avoid, and learn how to become a legendary sales leader with every rep on your team. Exvoyant will help you move past focusing only on your number and is your partner to start building a dominant sales dynasty. The Exvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones can drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will create new normals with every single rep on your team. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you create a sales dynasty faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by Paul Butterfield, Head of Global Sales Enablement for Vonage. Vonage helps enterprises redefine business communications by providing unified communication solutions. Vonage helps make every interaction with a customer count and unites voice, video, SMS, and other messaging with their API communications platform. Paul helps a worldwide sales team outpace competitors in an extremely competitive market. He has over 20 years experience in direct sales, channel sales, sales leadership, and is now a vocal leader in the rise of sales enablement. Now, as much as I like talking sales with my man, Paul, he's also a world-class competitive barbecue judge. He knows great sales leadership and great barbecue. And to be honest, I'm not sure which one I'd rather talk to him about today. So, Paul, I cannot get uh, wait to dive into your experiences and your playbooks. Thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. Excited to be here. And I'm glad to share with you my sales playbooks, but my barbecue recipes, stay with me. Sorry. <laughs> I love it. I'll, uh, I'll I'll find a way to get a couple of those to put them on our website sometime, man. Um I'm excited to have you. You, You're doing some really cool things with a really cool company that's that's really uh, growing at a nice clip uh, in in providing critical solutions for business people around the world. Can you take a minute to start this conversation, Paul, and just introduce people to Vonage and and what you're doing there? Sure. Vonage has been making some really interesting moves. I've been here going about almost three years now. And even in the time that I've been here, we've become a category buster, Rob. And what I mean by that is we have the unified communications platform that you alluded to. We have integrated in that a contact center, uh, cloud-based contact center platform. We have programmable API platform that enables customers to create 
all sorts of communications customized and built. Think of it as digital Legos. So if we don't have something that comes in one of our existing products, we can help you build something specifically tailored for your environment. So that's what I mean by it. So it's been an exciting time to be here. Uh, traditionally, most people, and reasonably so, think of Vonage uh, because we were 20 years ago, one of the, the probably the leader at the time in bringing voice over IP to the world. Right. That's, I, I have the same re- recollection of that. So I'm yeah. glad you went there. Yeah. yeah. All right. But, but we have, um, our CEO, uh, Alan Masarak has been, the time that he's been here, uh, has really focused on taking that expertise, taking that backbone that's been built and creating a whole new category of business communications. So it's, 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 it's a great place to be. Yeah. And, and those, the need for communication is, it's never going to go away. It's just how you do it's going to change. <clears throat> and and you guys at Vonage were the first to do AP, uh, were first to do VoIP. And now what you've done is continue to, to uh, maintain and grow that leadership position in how you help companies connect with prospects and customers. Is that a fair way of putting that? It, it is. We're very focused on helping our customers create exceptional experiences, not only for their customers, which people typically gravitate towards, but also how do they create exceptional experiences for their employees? Ah. In today's economy, with the unemployment rate where it is, talented employees have a lot of choices, and yes. you've got to give them a great experience. Um, that, In fact, you, you've probably seen the same surveys I have. Employee experience outranks pay for a lot of people. For a and, lot. Um, so we're focused on that, too. Awesome. Okay. So I love that. I love that. It's good for our listeners to know about, about Vonage and it's going to give a lot of context for this, for what you're doing. One of our favorite things that our listeners ask for, Paul, and I can't wait to hear yours because you're, you're so broad in your background. People like to know how'd you get into sales and, and ultimately what, how'd you get the opportunity to lead global enablement at a company like Vonage, which is so big and growing so fast and a market leader? Can, can you share just a high level about your story before we dive into how you're doing things? Sure. Absolutely. Sales is just in, in my DNA, Rob. I, I, I just, you know, we were talking about this a little earlier. When I was, when I was going through college, I sold Encyclopedia Britannica. And what are yeah, those? Some of, some what are those? Say, some, some of your audience will be Googling that as we speak. <laughs> um, but, uh, it was a full commission job. They provided the leads. I provided the sales. And, and it, it's just, I have found sales to be one of the most rewarding professions. Um, it can be one of the most frustrating professions, but again, it, it, challenging is probably a better word, but the rewards are just there. So that's what gravitated me towards sales. That's what's kept me here. I, I moved into technology sales um, in uh, with HP initially, but I've been in the software game ever since. So you, you're uh, you're in your blood. I love it, man. It's DNA. It's in our blood. I I always say similar things to you. It's it's the greatest profession in the world. I think you know we're part of. You're right. It has challenges. Mm-hmm. But man, I'll tell you, I can't imagine doing anything different. And, uh, and so you've spent your life, uh, selling things, right? I, I, whether it's ideas, products, technology, you got it. That's, okay. That's, so, uh, so let's go back in time. I'm not going to go back to when you and I both started in this game back in the nineties. Cause that's just mm-hmm. too far back. Let's go back like 15 years or so. Let's go back to like the early two thousands. Uh, you've seen pretty much every side of sales, like I said, the channel, direct, you've led channels, you've led direct, uh, you, you've, you've seen all of it, and you've done it at a very high level, mostly in technology. What have you seen? What's the same and what's different? You know, as you think about a little bit of stuff you've seen, because you've played a pretty cool role in how sales has developed into where it is now, 
What are some of the things you see like that are similar as you look at it? And what are some of the key differences in today's sales world? The thing that I think is similar is the people element. People, in my experience, if you make friends with your prospects and customers along the way, and I have I have friends that I sold enterprise agreements to 15 years ago that I still get together with when I'm in town. How but awesome is that, by the way? How awesome is it that? It is awesome. It is awesome. But what a lot of sales people confuse, in my experience, is that with that also being a requirement to have a successful business and selling relationship with a prospect. And I guess what I'm getting at is when the friendships happen, great. But what I've seen is people, what they are looking for, they have friends. What they're looking for is someone who is authentic, mm-hmm. who frankly knows their business and knows their craft, and that can empower them to do something they couldn't do before they met you. If you can, if you can fulfill those needs as a sales professional, you'll be successful. And I don't think that has changed uh, in, in, in what I've seen. People are still people and they're looking for those things. Now, what has changed is the amount of information and, frankly, control that a buyer has in the sales process. Fifteen years ago, websites were a great source of information that the Internet had already exploded as far as the way that technology was being evaluated by potential buyers. But since then, you've got social networks. You've got um, the, the, the whole Twitter sphere, right? How companies are perceived out there. That's just a lot more data coming at a buyer. And depending on whose research you listen to, they're going 60, 70% of the way down the road in their buying decision before they're even willing to talk to a sales rep. That's one of the biggest changes I've seen. And so it means that we now need to have approached the conversation very differently. When we, when the customer does choose to talk to us, it's not time to show up and do a demo and, and hope something lands. It, it, and we can talk more about this, but it's time to show up and start a real conversation that, that the executives want to talk about. Yeah, I like that. I, I love going back into what you think is the same. Those three things, uh, they want people that are authentic. They want people that know their business, and they want people that can empower them to do something that they couldn't do. That's really well said. I don't think that will ever change. I, mm-hmm. I think, though, because there's a lot more so, – <coughs> excuse me – one of the things that I look at is there's just a lot more people selling than there were back 15 years mm-hmm. ago. True. And you're not just competing against competitors, which you guys have plenty of. What you're competing against is other people selling stuff just to get you know, time to talk to them about needs. And so I think right. that, that that's a big change, and that's what you're right. There's so much information available. At, I think that many times it's it's even helping them prioritize what really matters and what can wait. I think that's another thing that I've seen show up late lately that maybe wasn't there so long ago. And, and I think you're right. And it probably just stems from the same 24 seven information flow. If I'm a, if I'm a buyer and, and I'm trying to educate myself about the state of fill in the blank, whatever I'm you know looking at with so much information, how can I correctly prioritize? I think that's a great point. So, so that's, that's kind of like your thought about how the world of sales has changed. Now, this is, this is the sales leadership podcast. We, we have a lot of sales leaders around the world listening and then a lot of salespeople that are working on and planning on becoming sales leaders. Let's take that same question and apply it to leadership. So how, given what you just said on how the role of sales has changed, how, how has sales leadership changed in the last few years? I mean, what do you see the role of sales leaders today versus the way it was and things they do? Any kind of thoughts just about, what makes for a good sales leader in the modern day? 
Let me focus first on, again, what, what I don't think has changed. One of the things that I learned very quickly when I moved into sales leadership was I had just moved from the credit column to the debit column on the corporate books. I was no longer, right? I, I was no longer creating and generating new revenue. Can I push pause on that? Can I just push pause? Yeah, sure. I love that. I think that might, if just by the fact that you recognize that probably mm-hmm. is why you had success. If a sales leader could really recognize that I am no longer a credit, I am now a debit, I have moved from where I was, I'm now overhead, right? I am now yeah. overhead. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just, no one said it quite like that. And I love that. Yeah. So, so what I figured out was that there were the, where I could add value, where I needed to add value for, for the company and for my team is get very good and as smart as I could at hiring. It's, it's such an expensive mistake. It's unfair to the people that you bring into the organization, right? I, I don't probably need to delve into that too much, but get very good at hiring. Then setting up your salespeople with the right tools, skills, knowledge, the things that they need. And that's, that, and we may get into this later, but that's part of what ultimately led to me being asked to build out my first sales enablement uh, program uh, because my employer loved how I was developing my team. But I just see that as essentially the frontline sales managers. Corporate may bring things. That's great. But if they don't, it's up to me as a leader to make sure my team is enabled and set up for success. And then, frankly, I need to stay out in front of them, and I need to keep the red tape and the corporate BS out of their path so they can sell. So, All right. Yeah. New finish. I like where you're going. You're going into a really interesting spot that I can't wait to dive into. So finish where you're going, and then let's start going deeper into it. So I think, I, I don't think that those things have changed, at least not in my experience. What has changed is we have a generation of sellers that are digital natives. This isn't news. Everybody knows, you know, this is, this has been talked about in articles and that sort of thing. But we also, so, so the way that we interact with our sellers as sales leaders has changed in the sense that they have, um, that's what I'm looking for, Rob, um, just communication styles. Right. 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 When, when, when you're a digital native, you communicate and you think differently. And and I think that as sales leaders, we need we need to adapt our coaching style as sales enablement leaders. We need to adapt how we're delivering information. Um, but to me, that is probably the biggest change that I've seen. So it's still those same three things, but how we're delivering it and, and, and that sort of thing that I think has changed. So let's talk about your blueprint of doing that. You, you've had success throughout your career in doing it to, to so much success that Vonage, you know, which is a really big company and you guys are not working in just one geography. You're, you're a global presence. They, they tapped you to say, Hey, we want to tap into your playbook on, on how you develop and enable reps. Can you start maybe sharing just a couple of the non-negotiables or a couple of the things you, if you want to be a good modern sales leader, enabling, helping these reps be more successful, what are some things you have got to get right? Coaching. Coaching is, in my experience, the most underutilized function of a sales leader. And, and I think there are some reasonable reasons why that happens. If, if you think back to, um, and, and uh, we were talking about Covey earlier, this is how I think. You, you think of Covey's four quadrants. Yep. Coaching is in the urgent, excuse me, the important, critical even, but not urgent quadrant. And the problem is the things in that critical but not urgent quadrant tend to get crowded out by the things that are urgent. Hitting your quota is very urgent and very critical. 
I get that. But, but I think you see where I'm going with this. Coaching needs to have a place at the table right behind hitting that quota attainment. In fact, it's going to, it's going to help you be more consistent in hitting that, hitting that number. But it's one of the areas that I see, um, that, that sales leaders just, just aren't able to find the time or, or don't find the time to do that. It's so critical. So that's an interesting observation, Paul. I see the same thing. We, we, we found seven reasons why coaching fails. And the very first one is inconsistency in mm-hmm. how often they coach, but also inconsistency in their approach to coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, is how important, like, we, I'm sure that if we wanted to, we could talk about sales process, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Everyone has some version of sales process. Mm-hmm. How important is it to have a coaching process? I, I, it's critical to have a coaching process. If you, you just mentioned a couple of interesting things. So, so number one, if you don't have a process, it, it, it's on your wish list. It's probably not going to happen. Number two, if you don't have a process, which means you don't have coaching objectives and, and, and a coaching framework, what do, what results are you looking for? Right? How is your coaching right. going to be effective? And you, and it's interesting that you mentioned, uh, having a process, regardless of what your process is, if there's not a gold standard that the company has agreed is excellence, then what, then, then again, how do we, and that's, that, you know, and I just thought of something. That's an area where, where a lot of times sales organizations let their sales leaders down. If there's not a well-defined methodology or process that, that is part of the sales DNA, and we ask our sales, uh, frontline sales leaders to go coach, We've really not set them up for success either, have we? Because nope. it, there's no standard to coach to. And so it devolves into, well, do you sell the way that I sell? Okay. <laughs> don't necessarily need to sell the way that I sell, but if we don't give people something else, I think that's what ends up happening. Yeah. I'm really glad that you're going here because first of all, I mean, every great leader that comes on our show has at some point got to coaching. You started with it, which is cool. Um, and what we found, I think you know Jim Dickey. Jim Dickey has shared some studies with me where only 3% of organizations actually have a coaching process, yet 95% plus have some kind of a sales process. And so mm-hmm. we are we are working like crazy to enable reps and help them have structure and a model and here's what good looks like. But then we go to the leaders and we say, hey, I want you to coach them up and make sure that this gets utilized. But if we are saying do it, just go out and do it, you may have – I don't know, 20, 30, 50, 100 sales leaders that are leading your 10 times that reps, you'll probably have 20, 30, 40, 50 approaches to coaching. You wouldn't let that happen. Why are we letting that happen in leadership, right? Absolutely. And, And I think we've all seen the story multiple times of a very successful, very smart salesperson who goes into leadership and, and washes out, frankly, and, 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 and to my, to my mind, that is the biggest problem is no one really helped them make that transition into, you can't clone yourself. So how do you understand what success is in a way that you can teach to other people? So I want to get into that now a little bit. One of the questions I got, it's funny that you went there. You, you, you brought up a statement earlier when you said they kind of just coach. Why don't you sell like me? I, I see the same thing, Paul. Uh, I, I, I found that there's a lot of times that re- that leaders, when they get promoted to become a leader, and this is particularly the case when you're a, either a young or a, um, I don't know, adolescent, like you're going into your teenage years in, in terms of sales leadership. You're not a fully fledged adult yet in it, if, if you follow my, my analogy. Mm-hmm. They go and say, hey, if you're not doing it like me, either you're just either lazy or dumb. 
you're, you're just not as smart as me or you're not willing to do what I do. And, and what I found is most of the time people just haven't been taught how. And I, I think that's a big challenge. So here's the question. I had a, a listener reach out to me this week. You're the first person I've interviewed since uh, uh, she reached out to me. And Tanil, this is your question. I'm going to ask it right now. How do you, if you're a sales leader, avoid coaching reps in your own image? How do you uh, avoid just trying to make a clone army uh, and instead help them become their vet, best version of themselves? Is there any thoughts around that? I mean, I love that you went there because I wanted to ask you this question anyway. Yeah, let me ask, let me ask you a question first. Would you agree that sometimes amazing sellers are subconsciously competent? Without a doubt. You know, there's okay. the consciously and the subconscious and the unconsciously right. competent. And I think yeah. the very best ones, they just have a gift, man. Right? right. Right. So if I'm an A player, if I have the gift, I still, if I, I'm going to back into what you asked. Just give me a second. Take your time. I don't, if I don't have an analysis, whether my company has a sales methodology I'm following, whether I've worked with some very smart salespeople that did their own analysis and broke down why what they did worked so that then they could understand it. But if you don't do that, I, that is one of the, the problems because if you understand why what you're doing is successful, then you can step back from how you do it and you can then begin to coach someone else successfully. Now you've got lightning in a bottle and you can help somebody else take it and make it their own because you're looking at specific, uh, what you're looking for, uh, activities and approaches, um, leading with outcomes and business challenges rather than product features, for example, Rob. Yep. That's something that a, in my experience, a, 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 an A player will just do instinctively, but they may not realize it. Once they realize it, then they can start to teach somebody else how to do it. Yeah. John Barrow is a good friend of mine and he talked about this with me. I, I love that you went there. He, he has a similar point of view. He said, uh, you got to be a paint by numbers kind of guy. Picasso just says, I know how to paint. Don't ask me how mm-hmm. I paint. I just do it. And, and mm-hmm. he said, Picasso's are great reps and they almost, they struggle as leaders because they don't know how to teach other people to paint by numbers. Would you buy, agree with that? Disagree with that? I, I love that. I, I haven't it. heard that quote. I, I will probably take that uh, and use that. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of one individual in particular um, that I that I had the privilege of working with, and the this person, by every definition, was the most successful AE we had at the company. And by that, Rob, I'm talking at the time, eight consecutive quarters at 150 to 200 percent of goal. And yeah, he had the same quote as everybody else. Yet with all of his success, he still took the time. And he actually, before the company had a methodology, he could tell you and show you very clearly what process he followed, why it worked, how he tweaked it over time. And he then would just reload and repeat that process. And it was, he'll tell you, it was one of the reasons for his success. That's what a smart salesperson does. Yeah. The company doesn't do it for them. And, 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 and then what a surprise you to learn, this person also was made VP over a division of sales uh, at age 30. Because not only could he succeed, he now had a system that he could go and he could teach other reps, other people. Yeah, so that's what exactly, I love that you went there. I love that. So for sales leaders that are listening to this, your advice would be make sure you can document. I mean, if if we take that story, and I always like to try and break it down into something that our listeners can go do. What advice would you give our listeners as they're listening to you talk? You know, don't just assume you got this. What are some things that they could do to audit to make sure that they're the kind of leader that can be a paint by number leader? 
Let me think on that for a second. I, 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 I think it would be to take the time and, and do some, do some introspection and, 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 and really think about why what you're doing is successful. Um, there's something that you're doing repeatedly that's working for you. What is it? Only you can probably answer that question. I mean, we, you know, we live in such a noisy world. It's difficult to set aside the time to sit and do that. But I've seen it pay dividends. I've seen it pay dividends for the individual that I shared with you. I've seen it pay dividends for me um, in, in, in the sense that I have very specific things that for years now I can go. And if a sales rep is coachable, if they're eager, if they've got grit and all of that stuff, that's great. But I have things that I can teach them that I know if they apply them, they're going to be successful. And, 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 and that, so you may choose to sit down as this one individual did and map it out for yourself. You may, in, in course of reading books, you may find someone else's philosophy or methodology that speaks to you. And you're like, that's what I'm doing. And you may adopt that. But one way or another, Rob, you've got, to, you've got to be able to explain. Here's another benefit to that. I don't know any salespeople, no matter how good they are, that don't hit a slump once in a while. Of course. And if you don't have a process, if you don't understand why what you're doing is successful 99% of the time, getting out of that slump can be so much more difficult. Just another benefit to having that figured out. It's really good. I love that answer. So rather than say, do as I say, we can start looking at the process and say, okay, let's find out where – you have the most to gain from an improvement here. And then let's talk about the activities or the skills that might mm-hmm. make you better, more successful in this process that we know, you know, helps us win more often than not. So mm-hmm. I love that. All right. Let's, let's shift over to what you're doing now a little bit. You're, you're a sales leader. You're a sales guy that's now uh, running a global enablement team. En- enablement has blown up and I'm really interested in your perspective. What can sales leaders do to maximize the relationship with enablement and the, and the way that there can be value created for their company. What do sales leaders do? How should they work with the enablement people? How should that relationship work to make it as successful as possible? I want to take a step away and say first, what should sales enablement leaders do if that's okay? Because to okay. me, it's a dance. And since I look at my sales leaders as my customers, that means to me, it's up to me to make the first move, right? That's why I want to start there. So if I'm a sales enablement leader, I need to be in the field and in the trenches with my sales leaders and my sales reps. I need to, if I haven't grown up in that company selling, then I need to take the time to understand the, the buyer journey and the seller journey. But from a, and, and, and if I'm spending time, my experience, Rob, if I invest the time with my sales leaders, go where they're doing business, understand the challenges that they're facing, not just at a high level sales, how sales works 301, but what's going on in our business. Then that builds relationships that, that benefit both parties. Now, if I'm a sales leader and I've got a sales enablement program, my recommendation would be to two things. One, leverage and leverage what is existing and challenge the sales enablement team uh, where you see gaps. Because even if they, you know, as hard as they may try, they're not in the trenches every day. They're not going to see things. Bring them the feedback. Work with them to help them understand what your teams need. But then what I would ask from sales leaders, and I have, I'm have, i very fortunate I've got sales executives that get this, is create a culture of learning, encourage a culture of learning in your sales team. Because, again, we're all chasing a number. 
I, quota is a is a big sword hanging over our heads every single day. Yep. But it's the sharpen the saw concept. If I if I don't take the time to develop myself or take advantage of what's been created for me to develop myself as a sales professional, um, I, I'm not going to keep up. And and so that's that's my initial thought. So I love this answer. And by the way, I want to thank you. I should have said this earlier. We generally are bringing sales leaders in and we've a couple times brought marketing people in and talked about what can we do to, to do better with marketing. And, and now you're the very first sales enablement, uh, kind of focused person. And I love that. I can already tell why you're so successful, Paul. When I ask you what can sales leaders do better, you say, I'm going to start with what sales enablement people can do better. So you're, you already are having this look in the mirror mentality, which is a lesson to everyone anyway. When you're looking at a challenge, look in the mirror first before you look out the window. I, I freaking love that approach. Um, you talked about a culture of learning. I think that's a really, really important thing. But I also think it's easy to talk about and harder to execute. Any, any kind of, hey, here's a couple of tips or here's a couple of things you found in your career that helps create a culture of learning? You know, if I had that completely figured out, I'd write a book and, and uh, <laughs> buy an island somewhere. However, <laughs> so, well, it's, it's an important topic and it, you know, no, it is. And, 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 and I don't want to, I don't think I'm overemphasizing to say it really starts with the relationship, Rob. I, I, I can't say strongly enough, you know, how I view and how my team, by the way, I have an amazing team. I, the things that we've able, been able to accomplish with Vonage, um, I need to acknowledge that uh, right up front. Um, but the, the, those relationships are, are critical. The salespeople don't report to sales enablement. They report to their sales leaders. That means that the sponsorship of the sales leaders from the executive level on down is critical because we tre- it, it, it's such a, a, a worn out chestnut, but we treasure what we measure, right? And so if a sales rep perceives that their leadership wants them to develop and wants them to, to get better at things, they're going to value that more as well. Hmm. The, uh, is that the direction you want me to go with it? That's well, I just want to know your answer. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. okay. I yeah. mean, I, I think it might, I think that's fantastic. And as I, I'm sitting here thinking about that, and we, we, I hear all the time, Paul, Oh, we want to be a learning organization or, Oh, we want to, we want to hire people that are naturally curious. And, As I'm listening to you, I'm burning up a notepad like I always do, and and I've circled it and I've underlined it. I've got some some stars by this culture of learning. And you know, if I'm a sales leader, and you know, we got we're gonna have thousands of sales leaders listening to this. I'm gonna challenge everyone listening to this. I love how you say you you treasure what you measure. So make sure that you're making part of the job, part of the role to be learning, and it's not just for compliance reasons or certification reasons. Oh no, yeah. Right. I'm talking skills. I'm talking, yeah. can, I, can I share a real world example and actually please, use? please, please, please. Reggie Scales. He is our senior VP of North America. One of the greatest sales leaders I've worked with. Reggie and Reggie, I'm going to, this is, this is, this is for you. He goes through every certification training, whatever it is that sales enablement. We work very closely with Reggie and his team to make sure this is the stuff that, that they need. Reggie leads from the front. He goes through everything himself, Rob. He's gone so far as to come and go through the three-and-a-half-day sales methodology workshop that his AEs go through. He came. He participated. That's the level of commitment that when a sales team sees that, they were like, wow, this is important. Good. 
All right. Well, I, I think that that's going to be a part when I break it down in the so what. I think that this concept of building a learning organization is it's got to transcend. It's like the things like encouraging them to be reading and and mm-hmm. sharing. I mean, there's just probably a, a long list of ways we can do it. Just make sure, listeners, that you're actively doing things that that back up your talk. We're going to be a learning organization. Here's the things that I want you to do besides just sell. I want you to actively be learning rather than just only be selling. So. Mm-hmm. All right, we're getting, we're starting to run up on it, which is awesome. It went fast and, and I love the conversation. I, I got one more question I want to get into before we get into the rapid fire at the end. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested because A, what you're doing at Vonage is so interesting to me. And B, you've been in the game, uh, where I really respect your context that you've, you've helped drive how sales has grown as, as a profession. I want to think about, uh, how do you know as a sales leader, you know, the sales leaders you, you've worked with and when you've been a sales leader, how do you know when you're having impact other than the scoreboard? I mean, we obviously run to the scoreboard. We sign up for the scoreboard when we go into sales. But mm-hmm. other than sales went up, how do you know you're having impact with your team in ways other than just what the scoreboard says? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Tell me, show me another profession where anybody in the company that chooses to look can see whether or not you're successful at your job, Rob. I know. <laughs> I mean, sales is really unique that way. To answer your question, two things come to mind. First, as a sales leader, there's the things that we put in place officially, but when we create, and I'm a big fan of culture, another easy to say, hard to do, probably do a whole podcast on culture. But one of the things that I want to look for is the organic things that grow up in a team. Hmm. And sometimes they're really silly things on the surface, but they're meaningful to the team. I'll give you a quick example. One of my sales teams in the past, somebody had a great quarter and they had this like 1980s, uh, top rock hits mixtape, right? Um, and they, and, and, and it has some silly title like rock stars of the eighties. Well, this guy brought it in because he felt like he was a rock star and he put that on his cubicle. These were inside AEs. Put it on his cubicle. The next quarter, he wasn't top rep, but the guy that was top rep came and took that tape and put it on his cubicle. (laughs) And it it became a thing. Again, it was such a silly thing, but it became meaningful for that team. So when I see that sort of culture, friendly competition and, and, and camaraderie, I know something's going well. One of the other things that I like to see, although it means I've got to, I've got to, you know, I've got to go find somebody else. I like to see my teams get promoted. I don't want them leaving the company. We know people aren't going to stay ambitious. People aren't going to stay in the same role forever. And when I see my, my AEs, for example, go become enterprise reps, go become leaders in their own right. Then I feel like I, I, I I'm doing, I'm doing it correctly. Those are two things. I think. Those are both awesome. I don't know which one I like better. And they're both, they're both really insightful, Paul. And, and I think it shows a lot of maturity for you as a leader. Cause I see a lot of, again, maybe less experienced leaders that don't understand that, that statement you said, ambitious people won't stay in their role forever. And for you to, to say, Hey, I'm going to say it as a sign of success that we moved you up and moved you out. And I can do it again because I'm a process oriented leader and I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to hire right. I'm going to only put people in here that will be successful in my in our system and then we're going to help them be successful. I think that that was probably one of the things that builds culture that you've seen because mm-hmm. people feel like you're actively working to help them become something more and become something better. Is that, I'm just trying to connect dots. Is, am I overreaching yeah. when I say that? 
No, I, I don't think you are. And I, and I, and I, a long time ago realized that why I enjoy sales enablement, I, it, was, it was a transition for me, is because that was one of my favorite parts of being a sales leader, Rob, besides the paychecks. Can't get away from that. <laughs> when you saw a light bulb go off for a sales rep and they just took off and their career took off. And, and now I get the privilege of doing that across a sales organization. Um, but no, so I don't think you overstated it. All right, that's two really good answers, and, and neither one of those have been said before, so I appreciate you sharing that. I want to shift into the rapid fire so we have time to, to talk about these and then, and then start to wrap up the conversation. <clears throat> so, um, so three questions. You ready? Mm-hmm. Number one, biggest sales leadership challenge that you've had to see, and how do you face that challenge now? Change management. When I started in technology sales, my first, I had an excellent sales manager at HP, and she, I remember her telling me, now that you are in tech sales, you will be living in dog years, and she was so right. And with that, as a leader, I have to own the change management process. So this may not seem like a sales-related topic, Rob, but one of the, it was a painful lesson I had to learn early in my career when I didn't do a good job of it, because when salespeople are frustrated, when they're unclear, they're concerned, they don't sell effectively, right? Mm. And and so as sales leaders, my recommendation is over-communicate. Their change is going to happen. You're not going to be able to avoid it. People appreciate the communication. They appreciate that we trust them with knowledge. And in my experience, they tend to just do a better job in their jobs when they feel that, that, they, that, uh, that they're in the loop. That's a really good one. I've not ever heard that quote before that now you're living in dog years, but boy, that could not be more true, Paul. And and that's an insightful leader to prepare you for that. So when change happens, you're like, Hey, this is par for the course. And it's not, if it's going to change, it's can we be first to make uh, the change become, become a competitive advantage. So I Mm -hmm. love that. That's a great tactic for helping change be an asset rather than something that you have to overcome. Okay. Second, uh, and this is, again, by popular demand from our, our listeners, and we've had some really great answers to this. I can't wait to hear yours. When you're interviewing people for uh, sales positions, is there like a go-to? Is there like something that's become one of your very favorite questions uh, as you're interviewing potential reps? Yes, and you asked me the same question when we started. Why okay. sales? Why sales? Ah. I'm always fascinated to hear from people why, what motivates them, What's, what, what has kept them in sales? So if it's their first sales job, why, why? If it's not their first sales job, besides the paycheck, because again, I think we all agree it's, it's one of the greatest professions that way you control your income. Uh, I, I, that's, I, I always want to hear why people are doing what they do. Because it, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And it helps me gain insight into what motivates them and where they're coming from, how they respond. It's another great one. Okay, uh, last one. Uh, we found that leaders are readers. Leaders uh, are what you've talked about most of the time. They're always learning. They're trying to stretch themselves, at least the great ones are. And I don't care if it's pages that you turn or audibles that you listen to or blogs that you read or even a podcast. Anything that you'd suggest that our listeners ought to be making sure that they're getting and consuming, putting in their head right now if they want to continue their leadership journey? Uh just as a general leader, not even specific to sales. Uh, sales leader, early. I don't care what you, I don't yeah. care. Big, big, uh, Stephen Covey, uh, specifically seven habits of highly effective people. Uh, when I was a college student, I had the, I had the, um, the fortune to work for Stephen 
and really understand his concepts. And that has come back to benefit me so much in my career. So recommend that. Another one that's a lighter read, but that I found really helpful is called You Can't Fire Everyone by a guy named Hank Gilman. <laughs> and it's just what it sounds like. You've got to work through the challenges, right? <laughs> so you can't fire everyone. I have not had that one recommended. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Um, it's a quick read, but it's, it's a good one. You just stimulated another quick question as I listened to you. What a, I, I couldn't help but think what a great opportunity early in a career to work with a, with a guy like Stephen Covey. Did he provide mentorship? How, how important was that to work with, you know, someone like that early in your career? Well, no surprise. I was in a sales role with his organization um, at, at the time. And so I didn't work closely with Stephen, but what he did do is mentor all of us as a group. He would actually have us into his home. Mm-hmm. on Sunday evenings wow. and, and and do firesides. It, it literally, he'd be by the mantle. We'd all be sitting around his family room. It was large enough to accommodate us. And, uh, and, and he would talk to us about uh, leadership concepts and time management and effectiveness concepts. And yes, that, that, uh, you know, I maybe should have been paying Steven rather than the other way around because it, it's not something that, that um, I, I could ever duplicate. Is it important to keep finding mentors at every stage of your career, Paul? I yes, it is. I, I I've been I've been uh, blessed to have one or two, uh, you know, very very strong mentors uh, that are still involved with me awesome. in my day to day. But you bring up an interesting point, Rob, and that is find opportunities to be a mentor. Hmm. Take you know, it's that whole pay it forward concept. I, I think that's critical in the development of any any sales leader. This has been an outstanding conversation. As we get ready to wrap, is there any kind of final thoughts that you'd like to share or, or offer up to the leaders, other leaders that are listening to you? And uh, I, we'll finish this, how they get in touch with you, because I, I'm confident you're going to have lots of people that are going to say, hey, man, I got a couple questions that you guys didn't get to that I'd like to hit you with. Any any final thoughts? No, other than I, I said this earlier, it is the greatest profession in the world. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. We're in this journey together. And and frankly, I look forward to hearing, you know, some people are going to listen to this and be like, yes, but I I look forward to hearing those yes, buts. I'm always interested in in what's working for other people. All right. So how do they get more of you? How do they how do they get more of what you're laying down? How do they learn more about Paul? How do they learn more about Vonage? How do they connect? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to connect uh, from a professional networking standpoint. Um, But uh, I'm happy to share an email address if, if that's what you're looking for too, because I'm happy to have people contact me directly, but LinkedIn, I'm very active on LinkedIn and, and yeah. easy to find there too. Awesome. So Paul, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic interview. I love your energy. I love your passion. It's, it's very obvious. It's contagious. Uh, what I really love is meeting another kindred spirit who's got that in their blood. Yeah, so Paul Butterfield, the uh, head of global sales enablement, uh, sales is in his DNA. It's in his blood. He's been doing it his whole life and he's, doing it to a, in a way that's helping create the next generation of, of killer salespeople. So, Paul, thank you so much for joining us, and, and happy selling. Thanks, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down this interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And Paul Butterfield's awesome. I, I'm really excited to get him on the show finally. Uh, we've become friends. I, I'm a big fan of what he's done over at Vonage. No secret that Vonage is a, is a market leader and they're doing amazing things. There's two things that really jumped out at me as I went back and listened to this interview that I really wanted to emphasize in this section. Uh, one is a perspective and then another is an emphasis. 
And the perspective, I think, is why Paul has had so much success and why his teams have had so much success and why he's really emerged as a leader in the enablement space. And that perspective is when you become a sales leader, it's very important to realize that you have officially moved from the credit side of the equation to the debit side of the equation. Uh, instead of being an asset, we're, we're now a liability, right? Um, we are no longer doing deals. We're now leading teams that do deals and, and chasing an overall number. But it was interesting that he says that the thing that helped him the most as a sales leader and what he helps his sales leaders realize is the importance of the awareness of that. Because then it drives the conversation to yourself. What are the ways that I can make myself more of a credit and not just a debit? And he found two ways. One is how you hire and two is how you develop. And when I asked him what's the thing that you got to get right, it was interesting. It wasn't becoming the world-class hire, even though it's super important. It was coaching. The way you develop people. Because you're going to have good hiring processes. You're going to have three candidates that are finalists. Probably any of them could do the job. Um, getting the number one will be for sure better than getting the number three. But it's not like you're hiring the dregs. You're not hiring people who can't who are uneducated, who are illiterate, who can't use the tools. That's why how you lead them, what you do with them, is going to be the difference maker. And that's why he said coaching is this critical, critical uh, deal. And, and I liked that because he said that coaching is the most underutilized function of, of most sales leaders. And when we talked about it, it was because, in his mind, lack of process is a key reason why most leaders struggle. And we've got to have a standard to coach to. We need to have a coaching process just like you have a sales process. Because a real common uh, problem, and we did a shout out to one of our listeners, Tanil. Um, too many times we try to coach people in our own image. Rather than having a, a, a way of saying, how do we identify where are the areas that are most relevant for the salesperson so we can add more purpose to what they do? Whether it's skills they develop or where they spend their time or how they do different key parts of the sales process. And so I thought that was important. He had a lot of great insights on how you can do that, the things that you need to do. And, and then the, the, the last one that I was going to bring up after this perspective is this emphasis. Everything comes, he says, by looking in the mirror. Don't look out the window. We don't make excuses. As a leader, we're, we're responsible for everything. It's who's on the team, how we develop the people on the team, how we help them win. And, and I thought that this culture of learning, he talked about a lot of cultural things. You own the culture. So look in the mirror, am I building a great culture or a shitty culture? And there's so many ways that you can see that. And um, I loved how he said, watch for the organic things. You know, are people, are people giving maximum effort? Are they coming early and staying late? Or is it, you know, 4.30 people are taking off? Um, are, how engaged are they? But this culture of learning is something that I want to finish with. I'm really aware of the importance of development right now. I've shared a couple times that I recently went on a trip and I forced myself to do some thinking time. And I found that thinking time made me much, much more successful. A couple ideas that I wanted to finish this off with. If you want to build a culture of learning, it, I think it goes down to role. I think the people on a team need to realize that part of the role is to have self-development. So schedule thinking time. Be introspective. Look in that mirror. Instead of just be so busy that we're just flat out like a lizard drinking, right? Um, we are, we're, we're pausing, we're thinking, we're developing. Uh, we're, we're developing our skills. We're developing relationships. Uh, I think that has to be part of the role. And I think that if people see that 
that you want to really develop and help their personal journey, I think you'll find that that builds those organic things that come. They'll help each other. They won't be threatened by each other. Uh, they'll be more tied and, and welded to the organization because of the leadership you bring and the development that you're able to create. So I want to thank Paul. It was a fantastic interview. I hope that you're able to add that coaching focus. Uh, so you're going to make sure that you stay on the credit side of that organization and, and create those cultures, see those organic things come, and that you never, ever stop looking in the mirror. I want to thank our listeners for reaching out. We get so much great feedback lately. Um, continue, please, please, if you're liking the show, go rate it. Give us those five-star uh, rankings um, so other people can find us and we can get more great people uh, to be on the show. And, and as always, don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.